and welcome to another edition of Turned Out a Punk. I'm your host, Damien Abraham, and once again, I'm bringing you a conversation with someone who grew up listening to punk, may or may not still be involved in punk, but had their life changed by it in a major way. And today on the show, for technically the fourth time, maybe more, no, four times, John Worcester of the legendary band Super Chunk of the legendary Bob Mold Trio, Bob Mold Band, the Bob Mold Band, I think they call it now, of the Mountain Goats, of New Pornographers, of The Finger, of, and of course, of course, of The Best Show, the radio show that inspired us all. More on that in a second. But first, if you want to get in touch with me, you can head over to the email address, turnedoutapunkpodcast at gmail.com, or you can find us at Facebook at a Facebook page called, well, Turned Out a Punk. They are both run by my brother and show producer, Tristan Abraham. You can send him a message. He'll get the message to me. He also runs the Turned Out a Punk Instagram page and the uh, the Tumblr page and and just like generally books the guests and does, does a lot of the hard legwork behind this podcast. So thank you, Tristan, for all your hard work. But if you're looking for me, you can find me on various forms of social media at left for Damien. If you'd like to support the show, the best way of doing that is by telling all of your friends about it, letting them all know that you like this podcast. And also you can um, subscribe to it and rate it on your platform of choice for podcasts. Speaking of support, though, this show would not be possible with the kind, loving support of my good friends at Vans. Thank you, Vans. They came on board a couple years ago and said, do what you do, Damien. Just do it well. And that's what I'm trying to do as best I can. And you might have noticed that this is actually a bonus episode. And this bonus episode is brought to you by the fine, fine, fine folks over there at Patreon. Uh, patreon.com slash turned out a punk. You can contribute. You get footnotes over there. That's where the footnotes podcast is. Send out other stuff. There's some other bonus stuff that's going to be going up there real soon. So you can support us by going over there as well. All right. On to today's bonus show. Once again, thank you to all the amazing people contributing over at the Patreon site, allowing this to come to you each uh, and every week and giving you this bonus episode. This bonus episode is something I've been sitting on for a while because I, I, with the part twos, like I, I want them now to be kind of bonuses. So the part twos are, are coming at you. There was a bunch of part twos coming up. And um, for the most part, I think they're going to be bonuses like this one right here. This is a incredible conversations with <laughs> credible conversations. This is an incredible conversation with one of my favorite people to talk to in the whole world. If you are not familiar with John Worcester, chances are you've heard his drumming at least because he's been on like, you know, he drums on like TV shows. He drums on like a, on a lot of different places, but you should definitely be familiar with his comedy. He is one of the funniest people on earth, knows more about music than anyone I've ever gotten to talk to, especially punk rock. The guy, the guy knows his punk rock cold. And this has been a long time coming. He's been on the show a few other times. Go back there and find him uh, in character. But this is his first time coming back as a proper, proper guest. So I'm not going to ramble on anymore. This is a short one, but a sweet one, but a delicious one. It is John Worcester on Turned Out a Pie. Awesome. You ready to start? You want to start now? Yeah. Is that is that angled all right? Or? Yeah, this will okay. be perfect. In this kind of room, it'll pick us up. Goes every, okay. Yeah, we're like, we're set. Nice. You probably know way more about audio than I do, but. I think oh, yeah, man. 
I actually went to recording engineering school when I was a kid. Really? Um, 80, the summer of 85, it, it was a short, like a six-week thing you would do. It was in Ohio in the middle of nowhere. And uh, it, uh, we would go from this town that was called Chillicothe, Ohio. And we on the weekends, we'd go to Columbus. And see shows? And I remember driving down High Street, the, you know, the street there, yeah. and, and one of the guys who I was with, I think there were like four of us who would go, and he just yells out the window, excuse me, where's punk rock? <laughs> and, and we found this place, and, uh, and uh, who was playing? Naked Ray Gun, we saw them. A band from Newport, Kentucky called Musical Suicide. Uh, you know what, you've stumped me. Yeah. Were they, did they I put think a they had, I think they had a record out, Musical Suicide. What year is it, 85? This was 85, uh, yeah, this would have been May of 85. Wow, that's so crazy. Okay, so yeah. what were their vibes? Like, they were like a... It, there was, I remember there was a female in the band, which was a female guitar player, which was kind of a, a rare thing for them. Kind of, hardcore was definitely a boys club yeah. for a long time, until present day, it feels yeah. like. Um, but missed, missed Who's Purdue on New Day Rising Tour. Just by a day or two there, and then missed him at home too in Philly. <laughs> same with same with Minutemen on the, on that tour. Missed him in Columbus, and then missed him at home too. But you saw both those bands many other times. Yeah, I, I saw Minutemen and Husker Du together. Together. Yeah, they played a show. It was very. It was a short tour. I see a photo from that from that show a lot uh, in, in the Mojo of a couple years ago when Bob they did a big Q and A with Bob. And yeah, there's a photo in it. Place called Love Hall, and it, so this was December of '83. So it would have been Metal Circus, and would that have been Buzzer Hell? Maybe you probably know better than I. Yeah. So it was those two bands, and Philly Hate Rockers Circle of Shit. <laughs> yes, doing their doing their hit. I need to murder. <laughs> Why do you think Philadelphia always produces bands like that? There's like a steady streak of like that scum. Let's go. It's the it's the town Sammy Town moved to to uh, when he got out of jail. So that that tells you everything you need to know. Definitely. Yeah, it's true. But like you think there's like there's always like what's there? there's that band Serial Killer? I think they were from there. Here's some deep trivia for you. Okay. The bass player from Psychotic Norman went on to be in the Serial Killers. Whoa! Yes, that's yeah. crazy. And uh, the singer's name was was uh, uh, Paul. Bearer, yes, <laughs> and who was just a great guy, kind of a ne'er do well Philly guy, and then um, so the last I probably saw him was in 1985 or six at a, at a probably like a government issue show or okay. something, and and, uh, and hadn't seen him since then, and I'm I met the the Raleigh stop of the Lollapalooza tour, which would have been like Smashing Pumpkins, Beastie Boys. First band on is Green Day, right as they're exploding. Okay. So tons of kids there for them. Up next, suffering the, the terrible fate of having to follow Green Day at, as they're exploding. Nick Cave in the Bad Seeds at, 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 at 1.30 in the afternoon in the hot sun. And, and they come out and they start playing, but he's not there. Nick Cave is not there. And, and, and this guy comes on stage to sing Nick the Stripper, and it's Paul Bearer from the Serial Killers. <laughs> How did that happen? He apparently had had uh, this. This ties into Circle of Shit. Also, <laughs> this is the worst start of an interview. Anyway. This is the best. <laughs> but, 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 this is like turning up a okay. So there was a guy in Philly 
uh, named John Brubaker. Okay. And he was the singer. He, he went on to be the singer in Circle of Shit. Okay. He was, he was so punk that there was an article on him in Philadelphia Magazine, the big glossy <laughs> magazine, and it was just called The Punk. And, and he was like the first punk punk I ever met. And it was so odd because he was the only guy I ever knew who had a double mohawk. Okay. So he had two mohawks, and this was in 1983 in Philly. And he was from this kind of Amish town, I, I, I think uh, Kutztown, PA, which is super Amish. And, you know, he couldn't, what punk could take living in Amish country. <laughs> yes. So he moves to the big city. And he was the first, like, real punk you would meet. Like, I was just a kid from the sticks. Super welcoming. Like, really cool guy, but looked terrifying. Like, he looked like he was on the Quincy episode. Yeah. <laughs> and, and I remember him just talking, like, he didn't even smoke, and he just looked, he looked, he couldn't have looked more punk. And he was just going, you know, I was uh, listening to that, that uh, Bad Religion song, uh, Only Gonna Die, and I had headphones on, I was tripping, and... And I was like, there's piano in it. Like, it's just like the weirdest first conversation you could ever have with someone. And he like, he looks so extreme when he's talking about his piano. And it's just great. So, <laughs> I was hooked. That was outside of a Scream show. It was Scream, Toxic Reasons. And uh, probably Flag of Democracy. So, so how did that, how did that, do you know how the guy from Seattle? Oh, 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 so, so, I, I digress. Yeah, anyway, yeah. the way that happened was John Brubaker, who was the punk. Yeah. Who I just talked about for 10 minutes. He was a roadie for L7, and L7 was on that Lollapalooza tour, and I guess at some point at the Philly or Camden stop, Paul Bearer was there, and he jumped on. I saw him, again, I saw him at a Nick Cave show two years ago for the first time in forever, and he was telling, telling me about that night that he got on, and I guess it was a crazy night, and he was on, I think he got off, he got on in Philly or something and got off in Florida. Wow. <laughs> That'd been a yeah. great time to be on that tour, too. It yeah. felt like, you know, it's also that speaks to, like, I guess, how amazing that period of music was. That you have Nick Cave, Green Day, Beastie Boys. L7. L7, yeah. Smashing Pumpkins. Yep. And and on that indie stage, I'm, I think, was probably, like, guided by voices and unrest. and You played a wall blues, though, right? We did. Um one of the best shows we ever played, Super Chunk, was the last day of our run. So it was the year before, maybe? Maybe? Uh, Lollapalooza 95. Or was it, I, yeah, yeah, I think it was 95. So it might have been the year after. And um, that was Sonic Youth and Hole and Cypress Hill and Pavement, Pavement. and Beck. Yeah. You guys didn't come to Toronto on that. No, no. And we played on, you know, on, the, on the side stage. but um, So it was our hometown, so it was really cool. And uh, that was Watt's first day. Mike Watt played mm-hmm. on it. Mm-hmm. And, and Moby played, too, yeah. before, like, when he was a rock thing. And like Beck, a, Beck would come over and do, like, an acoustic yeah, set, yeah. too, right? Yeah. I remember. Yeah. Because that was actually one of the first concerts I ever went to was the Toronto stuff. Oh, my God. That was that a, year? Yeah, that wow. year. That was a huge, pivotal year for me. Yes. <laughs> it was a good but, year. That was a great year. 90s were pretty good. 90s were pretty good. <laughs> 90s definitely, you know, there were some good bands coming out of it. And it also feels, though, like, you know, it's just wild to think of, like, all these people you know, in the early 80s that were all in the same scene that, you know, by the 90s are in these big bands. But, like, you know, the roadie of L7 used to be the most punk guy in Philly. Yeah. And here yeah. he is getting yep. the guy from Serial Killer to sing for Nick Cave. Yes. <laughs> so, <laughs> but, uh, John, welcome back to the show. Good to be here. 
This is actually, um, I don't know if, I'm, I'm not going to break kayfabe and reveal which episodes, but this will mark your fourth appearance on the show in some form or the other, bringing you into the great quarter club that includes Ooh. MVP and yourself. I think that's the only oh my, four. You're kidding. I think you guys are the only four-time appearers that wow. I can think of. Um, so A true honor. No, a true honor for me that you would want to come back again. Of course. I, I spend most of my time on the, on the treadmill listening to <laughs> this podcast. Well, I feel like that is... Uh, Texting you. <laughs> I know. The listeners should know that, that there, are, there are countless times where I, I text Damien about a specific... Episode, uh, thing and my favorite thing is is when uh, Walter from uh, Grill gets described early REM as sick. <laughs> <laughs> I like the fact that you listen to this podcast because I've listened to hours of you, not just musically, obviously, but also the the comedy side. I've listened to thousands, days and days of you. So to know that you listen to me, to see that light up on my phone, also. You know, once again, I put this over in the first time you were on the show, but you have an unequaled knowledge of music, specifically punk rock. I like it. Well, this I like brings punk me, rock. Well, this brings me to why I'm so excited to have you back on, because since you've been on, uh, I've talked to Laura from Super Chunk, and she, you know, and I told you about this too, she said that, you know, when they were getting court, when you were, you guys were getting courted by major labels, a lot of the resistance to that, and you know, was coming from the fact that you guys were a punk band, but also you specifically being like, we're not going down that path. And then I'm also going to break down the fourth wall and reveal that you sent me an incredible package of punk rock DVDs recently, which leads me to believe that you might be one of the most well-versed people in this genre on the face of the earth. <laughs> I, I don't know a lot about, about, about punk rock post 19... 90 maybe that's like, okay like in terms of like hardcore yeah no that's fine so, well that's actually I have an era but the, here's that that, <laughs> that leads perfectly into the first question I wanted to ask you which is what was that point for you where you and I'm not saying because you, you definitely stay in music and your heart is definitely still in punk rock you know like as illustrated by the thing about Laura but like there's a point where you were like I'm not about where punk is going what was that moment for you well I never loved the crossover thing like I I um I never really liked metal, and I was always suspicious of when a band would get metal, with the exception of Corrosion of Conformity, who, who I think are amazing, especially that, that three-piece era yes. was really great. I got to see them several times, once in a, in a frat with no stage. <laughs> Just amazing. And this guy... Was it a cool frat? Like, is it the yeah, there, frat? There was a cool there was a cool frat in Philly called Pie Lamb, and I saw, I saw Corrosion of Conformity there, um, none of the above... Whoa. Uh, um, played there, I think. Um, this place had amazing taste in yeah, booking, too. Yeah, and the last Psychotic Norman show, my band from Philly, that, that's where we played. Wow. Our last show, and uh, there was a great, there was a frat, there was, there was a couple doors down that had this great show, uh, Summer of 84, uh, Jody Foster's Army, the Dead Milkmen playing the, kind of their first show in the Philadelphia scene. Okay. But the, their, their tape was already out, and people were, <laughs> it was... It was a there was a buzz on the tape. It's the debut. <laughs> it's yes, their, yeah. yeah, and people loved them. And and the first band was this band called uh, uh, Masters of the Universe, which was two guys. I think two guys from the Stickmen. Okay. Who was a very influential 
club band from Philly that was kind of like herky-jerky, almost like James Chance kind of yeah. that sort of thing. And Graven Image from Richmond also. Wow, played. what a bill. Yes. So, like, were these frat houses, like, is it they, they just, like, were, like, seeing punk kids on campus being like, yo, pledge our frat. Like, I, I guess that, that Pi Lamb frat, I think, might still be punk. Yeah. Isn't that weird? That's weird to think about, but I guess, like... You know, I, I can't imagine being a punk and wanting to join a frat, but I guess, like, there's perks, obviously, have yeah. skills. Yeah, and maybe it was just different back then. It, it, it always felt like it was the, like, the uh, the Delta house. <laughs> yeah. Is that the Animal House <laughs> the, frat? Yeah. Like, the, it was kind of like that. Or that movie PCU. Yes, exactly. <laughs> Which I think Mudhoney's in, right? Or Mudhoney's definitely on the soundtrack, maybe. They're on the soundtrack, and the, the greatest story uh, involving Mudhoney... And there are a lot of great stories, I, I think, is them agreeing to do a song for this movie. Yeah. And they want to know, like, what's going to be happening in this scene. And I guess their, uh, their brief was just, oh, it's, it's the guy, like, kind of the dumb guy or whatever, and, and he's running in this scene. And I'm pretty sure the song is called Run, Asshole, Run. <laughs> that they're uh, you know I think every time because didn't they get a bunch of money for the like Black Sheep and they recorded a whole record off that oh yeah yeah which is uh, I wish they paid that much money still to have your song in a movie it's crazy those were those were different times we Super Chunk had, were, were on, was on a couple of those movies we, we were on the soundtrack to The Jerky Boys whoa The Jerky Boys movie and um, Johnny Mnemonic yep that's might have been the only two that we, that we made it on there's also a thing where you guys where they're going to use one of your songs, or they're going to just like steal a song for a car commercial, and you guys did a different song. Right before, oh, um, right before I joined the band, this was this would have been somewhere in '91. They got, they did some um, some music for a Reebok oh, commercial. Yeah, that's what it is. And with that, they got they bought a van. So, yeah. um, but I remember. There was a commercial, maybe in the late 90s, it was a Budweiser commercial or something, and it sounded just like us. We didn't do the music for it, but... Was it like a sound-alike band? Yeah, and, yeah I mean, and from what I heard, their brief was, make it sound like Super Chunk. So, because they knew we wouldn't do it. <laughs> that's, yes. that's the story so, I'm thinking of, actually. Which is, uh... But it makes us look bad, because most people probably just thought it was us. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You're like, we could have gotten money off yeah. this. One time Fucked Up got offered to be in that show Sons of Anarchy, mm-hmm. uh, and we're like, okay, what's going to happen in this scene? They're like, oh, it's like the neo-Nazi guy singing your song. Like, why would you ever want that? No. <laughs> like, Terrible. You don't make enough money to make that worth it. No. Uh, when you kind of felt like, you know, this scene wasn't where you wanted to be, obviously it's around the time you moved to North mm-hmm. Carolina. Yes, yeah, that, that also coincided with, um, uh, I moved to North Carolina... Um, I, I may have told this story the last time. You did. I think you told the story. But, but I, just, I, I wanted to get, like, what was the, like, I'm always finding it fascinating. There's, like, this point, and I think you stayed into it later than a lot of people, but, like, you talk to people that were in hardcore for the first wave, mm-hmm. where there's a point where, like, you know, and it, it could be crossover, it could be a number of things that just makes them stop. Like, was was there something that you were already feeling drawing you to, like, a different type of music by that point? Or? Well, I, I, um, I loved... So now we're talking like 85 or so. I loved where Husker Du went with 
flip your wig and mm -hmm. and 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 the super poppy stuff. I loved that stuff. I, I loved where the replacements went. Um, uh, and th things like that. And and in '86, I moved to North Carolina to join like a, a roots rock band. Yeah. And, and we ended up getting signed to a major label. And so I was just kind of in that direction. I still I, I would still buy Candy Apple Gray and Warehouse and whatever else was out at that time. But I was also in this roots rock band. Yeah. And and so the reason I think Laura said that I was the I was the the hold uh, not the holdout but the one that didn't want to go major was because I already had this terrible experience on a major label by the time I joined Superchunk this this band the right profile that I jo I joined when I was 19 down in North Carolina we we got signed and then just this mountain of red tape that prevented us from ever like really making a record and it was just just a just terrible experience so so by by the time I joined Superchunk I had kind of forgotten that you could put your own records out, so I was very excited about that. And then when these these majors kind of started sniffing around, I already had this experience of the you know the the mountain that you have to climb to even make a record. Mm -hmm. You know, so I just I just wanted to avoid that, and I don't think Mac and Laura even wanted to to do that. And by that point, Merge Records, which was owned by Mac and Laura, were already putting up full lengths, so. They were already uh, equipped to put out full albums, so mm -hmm. we didn't really need to put anything out on a major. Did you like so after the right profile breaks up? That's when you do that Jack Weisen Wesenberg Weisenberg Jack Wenberg Wenberg yeah seven inch. That's after right profile or that, is it during? Yeah, that was after. That was um, gosh, that might have been just a few months before I joined Superchunk. So it would have been early '91. I joined Superchunk in the fall of '91. So did that came out before or after you played on the Fingers seven inch. It. Um, that's 91 too, right? Finger was probably recorded maybe in late 91 or early 92 okay. or something. Yeah, yeah. So were you in Superchunk by that time? Yes, time? yeah. Okay. Yeah, so I was I was in Superchunk while the Finger session happened. And uh, Jack Wenberg I, must have been right before I joined Superchunk. So what was the deal? That single was incredible. Probably the most obscure. Rainbow Man. Yeah. What's the uh, dark narcissus? I, remember, is it? I think that's yeah. Yeah, and it's missed. Oh, no, it's got like a weird. Is it dark narcissus? I, it's something like that. Okay. Yeah. No, it's a it's a cool record though. What was the deal with that band? It was it just that guy. <laughs> well, when I moved, I moved from Winston Salem, which is where I played with that band, The Right Profile, for like six years from 86 to uh, 91 I moved to Chapel Hill from there just to, just to get out of that town and live somewhere different cooler yeah, yeah. and uh, my brother lived in Chapel Hill at that time and um, so this band the Heydays was the first band I ended up playing with in Chapel Hill uh, it was a trio it was two guys on guitar and I was the drummer there's no bass no bass and uh, Jack Wenberg was the singer songwriter okay. and and uh, so that that's how I met Jack, and then Jack went solo and wanted to record this single, Rainbow Man, and yeah. we, and we did that. We, we did it in the same studio where um, where Corrosion of Conformity's Technocracy was done, <laughs> and I think that that hit Corrosion of Conformity record uh, oh, years the, and years yeah. later. Yeah, what is that called? Is it called Deliverance or yeah. something? I think yeah, I think that was done that's there. And who was the band that was from Winston-Salem on Fart Blossom in the 80s? Subculture. 
Oh, wow. That's okay. where they did yeah. their record, too. A great yes. record, too. Yeah. A very uh, underrated. And he was in... The drummer went on to be in Squirrel Nut Zippers. And then, but the singer was also in uh, Mondo... What was in, like, an... Erectus Monotone. Erectus Monotone. Yes. That's it. Yeah. Which and, I and then went on to be... Uh, double Negative. Double Negative. And then he was out of Double Negative, too. Yes. He did. A lot of drama. Yeah, I forgot his passport on the way to camp. Oh, I didn't know this. That's what had happened over. I love it. It's 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 bad. Uh, so did you guys play shows? No, no. Um, I don't think that the heydays ever played a show. And I and, oh no, this is interesting. I um, it must have been the week I joined Superchunk. So this would have been in September of '91. So much happened that that month. Um. Nirvana played at the Cat's Cradle. I remember going to that that week. And maybe the, maybe the next weekend, Jack Wenberg, who we were talking mm-hmm. about, we did have a little band. We played one show. And we opened for the Buzzcocks when they got back together. Whoa. And so this is when... Because they did two reunions. They, so it would have been the second one, I guess. So this would have been ninety, the early 91, or the first one? That's the first one, because they did first one around that, they did that terrible big festival that was kind of trying to be yes. Lollapalooza yeah. type thing. So this would have been the first one. Yeah. Drummer is Mike Joyce from the Smiths. <laughs> just for this one tour. And Mike doesn't show up at Soundcheck. And so we're, we're standing there with our gear, just kind of waiting for them. And, and uh, Buzzcocks are all on stage. Steve Garvey's in the band. And, and they all kind of have their, their gig clothes on. And it's probably four. And it's obvious, like, something's going on. And then their drum tech or whatever, he gets up on the, on the drums and, and, and they play uh, I, I Don't Mind. And then uh, Pete goes, uh, is, is, is there a drummer in the house? And then he he says, "No, I'm serious. Is, is there a drummer?" And I said, well, I, "I'm I'm the drummer in the opening band." And he goes, "Would you, would you play with us?" So I got up on stage, and but the, unfortunately, the, the song I knew best was "I Don't Mind." <laughs> so we did that. We did a, "I Don't Mind," and we did um, "Ever Fallen in Love." Yeah. And one of the greatest moments of my of my professional life is, we're it's like just starting "I Don't Mind" the first song, and we're playing, and Steve Garvey looks back, just like. Gives me gives that me the positive awesome. nod. It was so great. That is yeah, awesome. it was great. <laughs> that's great. So that's the only show you guys ever played, as far as I can remember. Yeah. And did they? It's so so that record was like like a five hundred type run. Must have been. And Must that's it. Been. Yeah. And, and you're the only human I've ever met who who knows about it. No, until my friend from Japan posted a picture oh, of that seven inch the other day. Oh my. God. And was like, I don't know anything about this band, and I was like, Oh my gosh! I filmed that actually. In a copy of the Finger single with a bio that mentions you by name wow. and how this is like you joined this band for this record because yeah. they had two other seven inches before that, right? Finger did, yeah. I think it's the third single. They were on the first things they did were on Merge. I think, I think that single's on Merge too. Could be. And, and um, the guitar player is a guy named Brad Rice, and he was he was the kind of co-songwriter guitar player, and he and I played in a band briefly called the the Accelerators who were on Profile Records. It was when Profile, which is this rap label, yeah. was put was trying to get into rock. And they, I think we talked about this last yeah, year, too. They, they signed Motorhead. Motorhead yeah. had a record on there, and this band, The Accelerators. And I think, didn't Run DMC were on Profile? I think right? so, yeah. Yeah, totally, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. that label. And so then Brad went on to play, I played in a version of Whiskey Town with, with, with Brad, 
This was in 98, we opened for John Fogarty for a summer. <laughs> He, he came into our dressing room one time, and it was the one time I wasn't in the room, so I never <laughs> met him! I never met him! Um, yeah, and, and, and then Brad went on to play with Keith Urban also, of all people. Wow. Crazy. Yeah. That is a... Uh, I guess that you could have gone down a country path, is what you're saying. I'm, I'm, I'm always on a country path. You really? Kind of. Yeah. You've always liked country a little bit? I, like, I loved like alt-country stuff. I loved yeah. Sunvolt. And I, I played on Jay's, Jay Farrar's first two solo records. And uh, I loved all that stuff. Um, the Sadies, Pernice Brothers, yeah, things like absolutely. that. But you never really, you're not, you know, you're not going full country. You're not like. Oh, I like that stuff. Like I like George Jones and. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. I loved Rank and File. Rank and File yeah. was the was the post Dills. Yeah. Alejandro was in there too. Do you think you like it more than the Dills? You know, I I love the Dills. I I, I just had. That rank, that first rank and file record was such a big thing for me when it came out. So mm-hmm. I would have been like sixteen or so, and like I didn't even know country music at all then. Yeah. So I lo- I liked when, when like punkers would play country. Like I liked Jason the Scorchers too, and Blood on the Saddle. Were you a big X fan? Yeah. Oh yeah. Okay. Yeah. 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 That makes sense. I get. I totally get that. Yeah. So it seems like you also like bands that can play. Oh yeah, yeah. But I like I I love the Shags. <laughs> I like that. Like I love when a when a band kind of can't play and they have their own style like the, the germs are a perfect example yeah, of that yeah. like don technically wasn't a great drummer but mm-hmm. really amazing and i saw i saw I'm, I'm sure i texted you the night i saw them i saw mdc yeah. uh this past s- september mdc and four other bands on a sunday night in in, in a college town when school's out <laughs> so you were one of the few in the proud so me night. by the end of the night it was me mdc and two of the opening bands <laughs> and I bought, I bought so much stuff. I bought a hat. I bought. I bought a. I. I, I brought a record to, for them to sign. Yeah. Al and uh, and and Dave. But I, I bring this up because Al, the drummer, amazing. Yeah. Like the drumming on that record is so weird, and I'm not gonna say wrong, but it's it's just it's it's like but it's not. It's mm-hmm. in time, but it's weird. But it's amazing. Mm-hmm. It's amazing, and I love when when people like that find their own. Style. That was also just, it seems like Texas. Mm-hmm. Like all those bands, you know, are just like totally different takes yeah. on. It's like you told them what punk was, but didn't play that for them first. Right. Like the Offenders, who I yeah. love. That I, I love those records, and and those guys could play, but yeah. but they were, it was also weird too. Yeah, more like like you know, dicks, scratch ass, mm-hmm. dicks, bundle surfers, and stuff. Like those, all the bands, like weirdo, all different. Yeah, all different. Philly's like that too, though. Totally. You, you, yeah, you had so many, there were so many different bands back then because it was, it was when that kind of formulaic hardcore was really becoming in full effect. Mm-hmm. But there were so many weird bands. There was a band called the Morphines who were very arty. Um, Dead Milkmen were starting who were like, the, they were just so weird because the, the, the guitar was, ne- he, Joe's guitar was never crunchy or distorted. It was just like the, the guitar sound you first st- learn when you just pick up a guitar like there's no crunch to it but that's like his own thing and it's, yeah, it's incredible yeah. um amazing band called ruin yeah ruin's incredible they they're pro- probably the best of that scene i the, think it, the was that it came from the past compilation with fod they're on it oh yeah fod one of FOD the too. amazing band who is I, I can't think of another hardcore band that has lasted this long never broke up and never really changed their style and kept yeah. making original music. Yeah. 
You're right. And also, like, you know, even Why Die, who I guess are, like, the most of that kind of, like, formula of hardcore, mm-hmm. doing something so sludgy, sl- so much more angry than any other band that even they seem... I don't know, like every band seems kind of out of step, like, you know, especially compared to Boston, mm-hmm. DC, and New York, which have very, you know, defined parameters for like stuff that's happening at that time. Yeah, um, I was just uh, thinking about this. I probably sent you a, a picture of it. The, uh, someone sent me a, 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 an original poster of this incredible show that I skipped my senior prom to see. Yeah, <laughs> you did send me. 1984. Uh, Meet Men with Brian and Lyle on guitars, uh, Wide Eye, The Obsessed. And some other band, the Butcher Brothers, maybe, who I, who I think Paul Bearer might have been in also. But yeah. Wide Eye opens with this amazing version of, of uh, Jan- that Janis Joplin song, Peace in My Heart. <laughs> just, it, but like, not, not like, they didn't change it, it was the same tempo, and, but it was just incredible because that guy's voice was so intense. Oh, so intense. Jackal. Jackal, like, what are the. Yeah. <laughs> uh, like, meeting him in Philadelphia. Like, I met him one other time. But when I did that live episode... Oh, right, yes. Uh, yeah. And having him, like, on stage telling these stories back then, I'm like, I don't know if there's any if there's any sort of, like, true history of punk rock that was written where it wasn't, like, America's Hardcore or something like that. Like, the, the chapter on them would have to be pretty deep because his stories were, were incredible. Yeah. Like, <laughs> punching a guy in the face one time because he said he didn't like Molly Crew. Mm-hmm. Just... <laughs> <laughs> that footage of them on YouTube where they get... Where they've gotten metal. Hello. Oh yeah, yeah, no problem. How's it going? There's footage of them on YouTube. This must have been after I moved to North Carolina, and where they were fully metal. Yeah, the black dust. Black dust. Oh my god, it's wild because it's so weird seeing them with the hair and everything, and it must be like. Pretty hard to be that band, like to go out, take that much of a hard change mm-hmm. in your style, and knowing that people aren't on board with it, like it hasn't connected. No, and and I think a lot of bands suffered that uh, that same fate. Where at the, the I, I I love that that final scene in in um, the American hardcore movie, and also the Boston documentary, yeah. where where they're all getting kind of metal, but. They're not good at it. You know what I mean? <laughs> so, I think a lot of those bands, they just, they they realized they could play better, so they wanted to do this other thing, but they really weren't that great at it. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Or, or they, they didn't have the time to really get great. And then they all wanted to go to college, too. I will say, though, that Black Dust record is the best of yes. all of the metal mm-hmm. years yep. type stuff. Because I think they, once again, it's that Philadelphia thing we're talking about, like their take on stuff was just so unique that even when they tried to do like a metal record, it still came out sounding punk as fuck. Right. Yeah, and and you know, um, probably the greatest example of this whole of the whole of this whole thing of a band that was great at it was Void. Yeah. Where their their thing was so weird. You know, like it's you could tell that they were going for metal, but because of just the way those four guys <laughs> meshed, it just sounded like Void. Would you ever hear that unreleased record? I, I've only heard little bits of it. Okay. Yeah, but I I, I don't know. The metal that record, right? Yeah. It's a, and they, right. That to me is uh, I've only heard little bits of it too. I've never actually, and I know I know you can get bootlegs of the whole thing now, so I kind of want to sit down and listen to it. But that might be the one that I don't know. Actually, no, the Black Dust is way better than that one. Oh. <laughs> it's something that just like that record, you know, it's still it was maligned until really recently, and I think people have now gone back and discovered. It feels like now. 
for the first time ever, you can just judge a record completely Absolutely. on its merits. Yep. Yeah. Then and that, yeah, that's that's a great thing about you know the the uh, the lens of history. You mm-hmm. know, is is that and kids today don't don't have that baggage. Like they they don't don't hear this. Uh, I'm trying to think of. Uh, how we rock or break it up and, and they don't have that baggage of when this record came out <laughs> we were so disillusioned with these guys yeah. you know but they, they don't know that and they, they just hear it as a record it's, it's funny now because like I remember going to China years ago and people were just acquiring music at the at the market right mm-hmm. so you'd buy an Iron Maiden record the same day you buy a Rancid record yeah. so you'd have bands that sound like Rancid doing right. Iron Maiden covers um, and it feels like that's where we're at musically now just because of like you don't have to commit to a genre. Mm-hmm. You don't have to commit to physical formats. Yeah, you, know, you can just jump around. So it's like all the parameters of genre are just broken. Yeah, and, and I felt like that as a as a kid too. Like uh, that great era, eighty like eighty three to eighty five, where I, I love who's going to do. I love the minimum. I love the three o'clock mm-hmm. um, rain parade, rank and file, and those are all kind of different. But they were all just yeah. kind of underground music to me and Tom Sharpling has a, has a great uh, a great story of buying on the same day the same trip Zen Arcade who's here too and a Blamange record because <laughs> it was music it's all music yeah absolutely and it was like you're, it's funny because when you talk about the 90s that was like the moment where people started putting the pieces together like you know you started having spin articles and, and AP articles about the history of punk mm-hmm. and stuff like that but prior to that like you were putting the information together oh, totally. yourself like just like assembling whatever scraps you could oh yeah to yeah. get a history going yeah it was on it was it was a shock to see anything about like actual punk rock in a in a major publication mm-hmm. back then or be like on flat like you say Quincy yeah and stuff like that was that mayhem Mayhem. I, I had the I, I did the, the the uncoolest thing. It's so cool now in retrospect. Saw saw the Quincy episode on a Thursday. Yeah. And then I saw my first hardcore show two days later. Dead Kennedys and and Toxic Reasons. And did you make a Mayhem shirt? What was that? <laughs> oh, gonna no, I should have. No, I should have. Awesome what if I had gone and 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 I uh, did the the, the full on the fake mohawk. <laughs> Well, then you would run into the guy with the two Mohawks and you would have called your card. Brubaker, yes. Brubaker. Yeah. <laughs> Did he say plain circle of shit? He was the singer. He, he was, was the, singer and he was the shit. He was the mastermind. They never put any records, right? They did. They, they were on a label called Web of Sound. Web of Sound. Which, which um, I feel like Web of Sound had some relation to Pure Hell. Okay. Like there yeah. was some connection to them. And pure, it's funny, Pure Hell is, is the real lost... Yeah, like I don't component of this whole thing. Band. I guess yeah, I think they were they're they're uh, from or a couple of them were yeah. from Lansdale, which is which is where my dad grew up and which is the town I would drive 20 minutes to to take the train into the city. <laughs> and then and there was nothing going on in Lansdale ever. And then maybe 2 years ago I think I told you I was watching this documentary on Pennsylvania hardcore and it turns out there was this crazy hardcore scene in Lansdale. Yeah. Well, decades after I was there, which I just thought was amazing. Yeah, it's like, it's funny how, like, there are different towns which get the bug at different times. Mm-hmm. Like, even in the 90s growing up here, there, like, the, all the scene was in the suburbs. Right. No one was downtown. Interesting. Shows. It was very much like a suburban thing for that time period. And so, probably the same time that that town yeah. became the epicenter. Right. I guess, like, you know, young kids with access to gear... And meets, yeah, and stuff. Yep. Um, 
you know, when did you, like, why do you think this genre keeps resonating? Why do you think it keeps going? Like, why do you think there's, like, scenes popping up still? I think, I think in general, punk rock is just, it's easy to play at first. I, I, think, I think that's, you know, anyone can get a Ramones record and chug along, and then you get better and you get better. And, and I, I think for, for kids, it's just exciting, mm -hmm. you know, and, and it's just, it's so powerful and, and, you know, it's fast and you, what kid doesn't just instantly connect with that? And I, I can never understand why kids that I went to high school with didn't like it. Like I was one of maybe two people in my high school that was, in, that was into it, but it's like, wh why do you like Motley Crue and not this? Like, yeah. This is like just as kind of loud, but it's even more extreme mm -hmm. you know but it, it, it didn't really cross over to those kids for some reason but it's funny because it's still like it, it's always like that you know like even when it was like exploding at different times like it feels like it was never like you know we talk about green day blowing up i remember being in school when that happened and it still was like 10 kids maybe, yeah, you know, like, yeah. in the class yeah <laughs> it feels like it's always kind of it attracts a certain type of kid Throughout the generations. Yeah, and those are the kids you want to hang out with. You yeah, know, those are the, you saw a kid with a black flag button or something, and yeah, it was so rare that you just went on to talk to them. And it's so funny because it's like I guess because it required a certain I don't know like metal to kind of do it, mm -hmm. you know, like to uh, to stick with it. Oh, like, yeah. it's amazing how many people from it wound up doing unbelievable things in different worlds. You know, like yeah. like yourself, like playing in all these different types of bands. You know, like you're not playing in a band that sounds like FOD, but at the same time, like you're playing with, well, I guess Bob Mould is definitely directly connected to it too, but like, you know, you're playing with bands where everyone's kind of from yeah. this background. Yeah, every band, you know, the Mountain Goats, Super Chunk, even though the Mountain Goats is not a, a punk rock band, Peter and John, you know, that's, they come from that world too. Uh, Anti-scene label mates. The Surf 7-inch is on the... Split. Is that... Oh! Uh, it's on uh, Ajax. Is it on Ajax or is it on... Jettison? I doubt it's on Jettison. I don't, so it must be Ajax. must be Ajax, yeah. It's on Ajax. Yeah. And stuff like yeah. that. That label's amazing. When you go through their catalog and you're like, wow, look at all the New Zealand stuff this guy was That's into. right. That's right. Look at Anti-Scene. Right. <laughs> look at Mountain Goats. Yeah. Like, you go through that label, History of Served. You know, and there's so many great labels like that in the 90s where mm -hmm. people were like, you know... Homestead, like uh, people that just were honed into music, merch too, obviously, yeah. but like where they were just all the cool bands from all over the world. All different kinds and all different scenes, yeah. There was just under the same umbrella, which mm -hmm. was really cool. Do you think that died when Nirvana blew up? Like, do you think it just like, changed, or changed, I should say? Like, where it just like there became too much to kind of like keep tabs on? Probably. Um, I feel like that a lot where that were, where there's just. There, there are certain certain periods of time where there's just there's just too much of it. Mm -hmm. You know, you can't like I, I I wouldn't even know where to begin listening to a lot of music of today. You know, there's just so yeah. much, and it's so it's so much easier to make records now too. Mm -hmm. You know, mm -hmm. back you know back in the '80s or whenever you would you know, had book a studio and do all that and pay for tape and a lot lot higher barrier of entry. Yeah, and you you had to really want to do it. Yeah, not that people today don't want to do it, but it's it's. It's a lot easier to do it, and that's great. Everyone should have access to being able to do it, oh. but it's, it's a lot to wade through now. And it feels like it's also like, 
even though um, it feels like there were like 25 people in every major city that were like the core of things. Mm -hmm. And those are the people that are still around today in bands. Yeah. It feels like. Like, yeah. like we were talking earlier, like you can name different people that you still see around from these different bands, you know, or, or that are still involved yeah. in, in music. And it's, it's uh, the dedication required, like bread, like a lifelong commitment. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, I, um, that was one thing I had back. It was uh, back in the nineties. I, I was, I had this prejudice against people that I knew were not going to be doing it in five years. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? I, and, and it's, it's wrong to have felt that way, but I, I just, I, that that kind of rubbed me the wrong way a lot, where I would see a band or something, or and I just I would think, I know you're not going to be doing this in five years, and I will. Mm -hmm. And I, I know that's not, that's very petty of me, but we had had like a lot of careers <laughs> by that point, right? Like you had been in all these hardcore bands, but you had also like been through the ringer in this yeah. pretty major label explosion, major label. Band. Yeah, yeah, I got I kind of got my lumps early, like at twenty <laughs> or, or nineteen, you know, yeah. so. I just after that I just felt lucky to be doing it at all and being able to actually finish a record and have it come out. Mm -hmm. So, mm -hmm. yeah. Is that like do you think that you know experience has shaped the way you approach doing bands because you're always in so many different projects at once? Like, are you able to like you know like if you're in the that one band for like five years? It seems like mm -hmm. only that band. Yes. And now it's like you're in how many bands right now? Three, three, three kind, of, kind of full time. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Is that like, would you be able to just focus on one? Like, would you want to, or is that something now where you're like, I want to be? I, I've never even thought about it. it just it, it's become such a part of my life for the last ten years that yeah. I, I don't even know any better. You know? What was the first? <laughs> I guess you were doing it right away, right? Like you're playing that finger seven at the same time you're in super chunk, so you're like doing it. Yeah, I was never really in finger. I we, we played, we played one show and it was the night the night. Kurt died. Oh wow! Um, uh, I think that was the only show I ever played with them. But uh, most of the time in the '90s, it was it was just super chunk. I had that little period where I played with Ryan and in Whiskey Town for a little bit, mm -hmm. and and, and uh, there, there'd be things like that. Magna Pop, I did that a tour with yeah. them. So there'd be little things like that. But it was pretty hardcore for with super chunk for most of the '90s. Was New Pornographers like the first band that you started playing in? That was... Because uh, oh, no, you've done those records with Jay before that. Yeah, so there'd always be things like yeah, that, like yeah. recording projects with like Jay Farrar or, or uh, whoever. Uh, but they weren't like live type? No, no, I never played live with him. And then the new pornographer's thing was, was uh, 2007, because Kurt was going to have a baby, his wife. Okay. And they needed a drummer. And that's right when I joined the Mountain Goats, too. Mm -hmm. So that was all starting to happen. And then a year later... Got the call with Bob and what was that like? You know, this is the guy that got you in the kind of yeah, it was amazing. I, I um, I played with Jason Narducci, who's the bass player with yeah. the Bob Mole Band for uh for about nine months in the Robert Pollard solo band. Oh, Robert Pollard yeah. from Got It By Voices. Yeah. and uh, when he first put out solo records, and so th that band was me and Jason and a guy named Dave Phillips and Tommy Keen. Oh yeah, yeah. rest in peace. Yes, and uh. Um, so, fast forward to 2009, I guess it was, um, Bob Mould was on tour, and I was on tour with the Mountain Goats, and Jason calls, and he says, would you be able to do this next European tour with Bob? This drummer that we've got just isn't working out. 
And I said, I think so, yeah, because it was, I had an opening. And then he called like two days later, and he said, could you finish this tour? <laughs> and they were in Denver, and they had a whole West Coast t tour to do, and I guess they just had it with the guy yeah. or something. And, um, and by chance, that day, this Mountain Goats tour of Australia fell through. And so we had two more dates to go, the Mountain Goats, uh, Philly and D.C. Mm -hmm. And so we played in D.C. And I said, I, I said, I think I can do it. And so we, we played in D.C., drove back to North Carolina. I, I, was, I didn't have a house at this point, so I was living with my, my parents when I was not on tour, which was all the time. Yeah. And so I, I took a shower at my parents' house and, and got a ride to the airport, flew to L.A., learned whatever songs I didn't know of Bob's on the, on the plane, had a little note card, <laughs> met them, and then drove down to San Diego the next morning and we sound checked and we played that night. Wow. So it was crazy. Yeah, it was. And uh, I told you earlier, we had our, our sixth rehearsal <laughs> in 10 years the, the other day. So. Have you always been like, you know, from that Buzzcock story, like that would freak a lot of people out. Like, fuck, when Bob asked me to sing with you guys, mm -hmm. I spent two days cramming. Right. To make sure I didn't fuck up the words. Yeah. Right, like that, it would freak me out to be. Right, that's what I'm saying. Like never. I'm 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 lucky that I'm able to sort of play a song once or twice, and, yeah. and, and hopefully it's 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 still there. Yeah. Um, but um, but with that gig, there just there wasn't really time to get nervous. There wasn't even time to think about what what was happening, just because it was I committed to doing this thing on a day like with a day of cramming. Yeah. And so there was no way. To get out, or you know, yeah, to, you're committed to back out. Yeah, <laughs> you're committed. Yeah. Are there any records like you know? I don't even play drums. There's records I listen to where I'm like, fuck, I wish I had a better drummer on this record. Is there any records you listen to where you're like, I, I wish I was on this? The, there's one song that, that immediately comes to mind every time I hear it. The drummer's good. Yeah. But it's just, you know, when you play the the hi hat. When you open it up, it has like a like a sh like a slush to it, and and it kind of like it just makes it more, puts it more on edge. Yeah. There's a song by Eddie and the Hot Rods. They they do a cover of the Bob Seger song "Get Out of Denver." And it's a great version, but the drummer is just ticking on the hi hat. Like so, it's like I still remember instead of like if he had opened that hat. I would love that song even more. You gotta find a band to cover that now <laughs> right? so you can, you yeah. can finally get that yeah. drum part right yeah. for that song. Right. <laughs> but but a lot of times you 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 can't imagine a record sounding better or different just because you're so used to hearing it. Mm -hmm. Like you mm -hmm. know, like we talked about the germs earlier. Mm -hmm. Can you imagine how, how that would sound if if they could play better? It wouldn't be it's like putting a Porsche engine into a Pinto. Yeah. Like a Pinto's a good car, so it made, right. not, a, made not a Pinto, but right. a Volkswagen Bug. Right. And we, we um, Super Chunk, we had this record that came out, um, maybe 99, called um, Come Pick Me Up. Okay, yeah. I, and and it just, I think the songs are great, I think the performances are great, it's just, the mix was never great for me, because mm -hmm. it was just done so quickly. And and um, it came out again on a, a remaster like five years ago or so and Mac asked if we should remix it and a few years before that I would have said yes and then I just but then I just realized no this is the record that people hear mm -hmm. and this is how everyone has heard it since mm -hmm. it shouldn't really be fucked with it's kind of funny because like in, in movies when someone does that 
Mm -hmm. People freak the fuck out. Like when uh, you know they went back and redid Star Wars, right? And ET with all those with the changes. Mm -hmm. But like in music, like to remix and remaster something is almost like a given, right? Like you're supposed to do it. But you're right. Like it does. That's not faithful to the original document necessarily. Yeah. Yeah, and I, I don't really think people care about it at that point. I think they just want to hear the version they know, and it's a small percentage who are going to hear that new one and go, yes, I hear it now. That's that's how it should have been. Yeah, that's it's, it's, it doesn't work that way. Yeah, yeah, no, that's true. But I do think, uh, you know, I do want to hear you play drums on that 88 the Hot Rod song. You should do like a, uh, a Red Blood Cells thing. Where you should play the drums over that song and realize yes, it. that's a good idea. It's a great idea. <laughs> it's a great idea. <laughs> well, you got to play a show tonight. i got to do my stretches. And i got to let you get ready for this show. But, John, okay. thank you for joining the thank fourth you. show, my friend. This has been amazing. My pleasure. Thank you, John, for coming on the show. And you heard right there, John will be back for uh, hopefully the part five. You know, that's what, that's what we need more John. I would do a show every week with John, but then Tom Sharpling would, would kill me. I would do a show every week with Tom, but then John Worcester would kill me. So I'll just keep doing this show by myself for now and keep my life because I am enjoying it. Speaking of enjoying it next week on the show, if you enjoy conversations with people that can keep a beat, you will be very excited to know that. Uh, one of the most storied drummers in the history of of well, pop punk, but, but punk rock, Dan Panic is on the show next week. Now, Dan has played in everything from Screeching Weasel to Groovy Ghoulies and tons more. We're going to do it all next week. And this is a conversation with one of the nicest people I've ever met in my entire life. And I'm not just saying that now as an adult, meeting him as a, as a, a peer playing in music groups together or things like that. No, no, no. I met him when I was like a little kid, uh, annoying as fuck. And he was so unbelievably nice. You will hear the whole story next week on the show. Oh, it's a good one. And then I think next week we're going to have a bonus show too. That's because that's how I'm going to do it. Just going to keep doing uh, fun, interesting stuff around here. Cause, uh, you know, got to keep it fun. Got to keep it fun. All right. That's it. Thank you again to John for coming on the show. And thank you to you for supporting the show. Thank you to the Patreon people for really supporting the show. Just kidding. Anyone supports the show. You just, you just support it, but really the Patreon people. And, uh, and that's it. I'm going to see you, uh, after the weekend with Dan panic on turned out of punk. But until then go out there and make your own culture. Tell all your friends about what we do over here. Sign your organ donor cards because you're not going to need those things by the time they come looking for them. And uh, that's it. Uh, and we'll see you next week on the show.